are continuing our sermon series called I Am. There are several times in the book of John where Jesus uses an I Am statement to reflect who he is. And the one thing I like about uh, I Am is that this is Jesus in Jesus' own words. So if you're going to ask somebody, what are you all about? It's best to ask them, not somebody else. Say, tell me what this guy's about. Now go direct to the source. So this is direct to the source. Who is Jesus? Now, the challenge for us in today's modern society is that Jesus uses a lot of pictures or metaphors that early first century Jews would have perfectly understood. But maybe not so much us. So when he says things like, I am the bread of life, like, oh, is that like gluten-free? Is that wonder? Is is it sliced? Is it baked? No, that, that meant something to them. So as we go through this series, we want to peel back some of the layers, put some context behind what Jesus is saying so that what he says makes sense to us today. Here's the, the map of where we're going. We did Bread of Life last week. We're doing Light of the World today, and you can see the rest as we go on through. No surprise that Easter is I am the resurrection and the life. Bet you didn't see that coming, right? <clears throat> but today... Excuse me. We're talking about, I am the light of the world. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm going to have to stop smoking. That's all there is to it. All right. <laughs> so, as we get on with the light of the world, I want to share a story. I was, I was in a, uh, a hotel room, for lack of a better term, and there was a lamp by the side of the bed. And it was late at night, and I was kind of trying to wind down, so I decided I'm just going to read a little bit in bed. And so I reached over, and it was a pull chain. On, on a lamp by the bed. I thought, well, that's unusual. Pulled the chain. I was like, ooh, that's not as bright as I was hoping. So I, I began to read in bed, and I realized, man, that light's really dim. So I kind of started to position myself a little better to the light. I'm telling you, by the end of 10 minutes, I was all the way over, leaning like this, trying to read with that lamp because it was so dim. And I realized, okay, I'm either going to continue to read, go blind, and maybe be crippled because I'm all balled up into a knot, or it's just time to go to bed. Now it's just time to go to bed. So I reached up and I pulled the chain and guess what happened? It got brighter. It was a three-way lamp and I was on one. There were two more settings I could have used, but no. <laughs> no, I had to go the hard way, right? And so I, I felt so stupid as I turned that way. It was like nice and bright on the third power. I was like, Duh. why did I suffer so much? Why did I try to read in that dim lamp all contorted you know, I, I felt that in my neck the next day, in my back the next day. But isn't that the way life goes sometimes? I mean, we, we struggle so much under the dimness of life. When there's so much brightness that's available, it's just right there, almost at our fingertips. And what is that light? What is that brightness? Of course, it's Jesus. There's a Sunday school answer I was looking for. Jesus is right there, right within our fingertip. If you've ever, watched, or ever looked at that famous Sistine Chapel painting where God is reaching down and and there's that, what I call shock distance touch, almost like God was rubbing his feet on the carpet and got you, you know, have you ever done that? It's right there at our fingertips, but we don't often take advantage of that. And I wonder why, why is that? And, and here's why I think that is. It's just a simple disconnection. It's, it's the enemy trying to work to convince you that that power is not for you, that there is darkness that can overcome but it's, it's all lies. And that's what we're going to walk through today. Uh, but in order to do that, I want to put just a little bit of context to what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is the ultimate party crasher. And the ancient Jews are the ultimate party animals. I mean, if you talk about the people who knew how to party, they have a feast for everything. 
And it wasn't like, uh, can you come over to my house at 4 o'clock? We're going to have some hors d'oeuvres. Maybe we'll have dinner. You'll be home by 6. No, no, no. They would travel for miles, and they would do this for days. And so one of these festivals that they would do is called the, the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. You may have heard it said. The Feast of Tabernacles, they actually came to Jerusalem. This was a, a, an expectation that they would all come to Jerusalem, and they would build booths. And uh, the booths symbolized their time in the wilderness, like when they didn't really have a home, so they were doing this thing. And then they had some elaborate ceremonies at the temple, one of which uh, they would light up these giant menorahs, like, like think pyrotechnics before pyrotechnics were cool. Think spotlight before there was a spotlight. They had four of these things in the outer court, and this is uh, a picture off of their Instagram of one of those ceremonies. I'm not, you know. Uh, this is an artist's rendition of what that might have looked like. It literally lit up the entire sky. And you could see it for miles. And this was the celebration of light. And what that symbolized was, was a time in the wilderness when God led them. That he led them by a pillar of fire, right? The, the light that led them through the wilderness or, or other ways that he led them through the wilderness. But this is the one that celebrates the light. And so this is the context. And this was an expectation that's been going on for years, right? The, the celebration of light. And so imagine, this is the expectation. You're here for the big party. You're doing great. This is a you know, festive occasion, and there's light. And then there's this nut job that walks in and goes, I am the light of the world. And what would you be thinking? Like, okay, no more for you, buddy. You're cut off. Uh, give me your keys. Right? But this is what Jesus does, and he does it on purpose. He steps right into the ritual that they're familiar with, right into their comfort zone, and announces that he is the light that they're looking for. This is the, the verse um, out of John where he says, this. he says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, wouldn't you think that would be good news? Wouldn't you think that people would want to hear that? Say, I, I hate walking in darkness. It, it never ends well. I would rather walk in light. But the way that Jesus says this means something. Like I said, the first century Jews, this means something to the people. And the people aren't necessarily happy about it. So why is that? So let's break apart what Jesus is saying here real quick. First of all, let's start with I am. I don't know the inflection that Jesus used. I don't know the hesitations in his voice. But I don't know that he just said, I am the light of the world. I have an expectation. I am the light of the world. If you know anything about who God is, when Moses first asked him, who shall I say is sending me? And God says, say that I am. I am that I am. That's God's name. Jesus, in effect, is saying, I am. I am the light. Okay, the light we can deal with, that's not so bad. But what Jesus is saying, I'm not just lighting up the city. I'm lighting the way. I'm lighting your understanding. I'm opening your spiritual eyes so that you can see the truth of who God is and what my mission here is. And my mission is that I will bring light. Light that you can walk in, that you never walk in darkness again. And finally, the last thing that would have possibly upset some of them, I am the light of the world. What is he not saying? He's not saying, I'm the light for you people, and you people are going to be restored to your kingdom, and your kingdom is going to be good to heck with the rest of these people. Of the world means Gentiles. Of the world means tax collectors, sinners, words there. 
he said that. Because if he hadn't said, I'm the light of the world, we would still be struggling to get in. Struggling to break in. What do we have to offer a God who needs nothing? We have nothing. And that's the point. God doesn't care what we have. God cares that we give him our hearts. He wants that relationship. That's the beauty of all of this. So Jesus saying, I am, is upsetting. I am the light, not so upsetting. I am the light of the world. Great news for us. Because light has a history in, in their way of being. Let's, let's just talk about light for, for a second here. If you look at the opening account, I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. This is a familiar verse, but, but I'm, I'm just going to read it, pause for effect, and then come back and, and pick it apart. You know these words, but let me read them to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. In the creation of everything, in the beginning of everything, what was the very first thing that God spoke into existence? Light. Now, why is that? Why is it so significant about light? If you're a, a, a person, if you're creating something, or if you're trying to convey a message, there's a law of primacy. Usually the first thing that you say is the first thing that gets attention is kind of central to everything else that you're going to say. So light must be central to creation. And here's what I think. If you look at the rest of creation, all of life depends on light. Why would you have plants before light? Why would you have animals before light? Why would you have anything before light? You can't see what you're doing. Light is central to everything that happens from the very beginning. And like I mentioned in Exodus, when they're traveling, it's the light of God that is guiding them through the wilderness. And you might be thinking, well, that, Bill, that's a, a quaint Old Testament thing, but does it have any bearing in the New Testament? Well, yes, I'm glad you asked. Because look again in John. And these are the words that uh, I mentioned again. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. I am the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome. So there's a history of light that the people of Israel would have completely understood. There's a history of light that Jesus is not just trying to derail. He's not trying to deconstruct their understanding. He's trying to fulfill their understanding. Here's what light truly means. Here's what it means to walk in the light and not the darkness. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be the pioneer. I'm going to be the trailblazer. If you follow me, if you do what I say, you will be walking in light, and you will experience the benefits of walking in the light. And there are many benefits to walking in the light, uh, there are not many benefits to walking in the dark. Like I said, that, that very rarely ends well. But the other thing that we often miss is that we are not just invited to walk in the light. We're called, we're commissioned to walk in the light. Here's another verse that you're probably familiar with. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says this. Jesus talking to the people. You are the light of the world. Oh, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was the light of the world. How does this work? Hang on. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, 
neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If our faith is just our faith, if our faith is just a personal thing, and if Jesus is just me and Jesus, no one else gets to see that. But if my faith is connected to my daily life, if my faith moves me to do things, I don't know, if my faith causes me to serve in the community around me, and I do it in a way that reflects Jesus, then God is glorified. He says, let your, good, uh, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Now, if you just stop there, this is where we get into problems sometimes, because who here ever struggles with pride? I'm chief among you, right? Sometimes we want to do good deeds so that we look good. Sometimes we want to do good deeds so that we get credit. Sometimes we do good deeds just because we think it's a duty that we have to do, but this is a calling to do a good deed in order that God may be glorified. How do you do that? Well, here's what I think. See, there's what you do, and there's how you do. So what you do could be to feed hungry kids, but if you're grumpy about it, if it's a sense of duty and it's dreadful for you, is God glorified in that? Or if you're joyful about it, you're like, here's an opportunity to help someone who doesn't have food. And, and when I deliver that, I, I do it in a, in a prayerful manner. I, I pray for these kids. I, I, I meet whoever's bringing that food and I say, hey, this is because uh, God loves us and, and we just want to give back. Uh, and we establish a relationship where we can start to talk about deeper things. And God is glorified. It's almost like the word and serve come together. Wouldn't that be weird? <laughs> and here's a little insider trick. I know that you've seen this logo before, but what you may not know is the significance. You know that we believe in the preaching and teaching of the word and the serving of the world, and we never want to separate those two. That's why we mash those two together. But do you know what the picture means? So picture a book that you're looking at from the top. The book is open. At the very base of the book, it's the words of Scripture. And as we live those words, and those words live in and through us, they come to life. And they come out in the world. And guess what's at the top? A light that shines from the good deeds of service, so that God may be glorified. Did you know all that was in that logo? Isn't that God? I didn't either. I just made that up. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, that's, that's the deal. That's the whole point. The words can't just be dead words on a page. The words have to come into our hearts. And if our hearts accept that word and we live this life, then we live a service to God that glorifies Him and points other people. The light shines so that people can see, not us, but God. Sometimes, you know, forgive me, God, when I get in the way, but that's the purest theory and model. And it's possible by the guidance of the Spirit. Is it easy? No, none of this is easy. A lot of it's simple, but none of it's easy. That's why we got to do this thing called life together, because it, it's just too hard any other way. Because we have some opposition. It's no mistake that our enemy poses as an angel of light. Why? Because we're wired for light. Our souls like light. Our souls crave light. So if something looks good, we might pursue that. If he just showed up as an angel of dark, we'd be catch on. That's too obvious. <laughs> When he shows up as an angel of light, it sounds just 
goal, make no mistake, he wants nothing to do with life. He wants nothing to do with your understanding and seeing God for who he is. I think it actively works against us, and it can be insidious, so much so that we don't even notice until it's too late. And here's what they're after. These are responses to darkness. Now, what is darkness? It could be anything in your life that causes grief, causes bitterness, causes anger, uh, causes heaviness in your soul. All those things can be darkness. But here's the typical three human responses to darkness. The first one is we just detach. I'm not a part of that. I'm just going to be very stoic and logical and never have anything to do with that. The problem with that for a follower of Jesus is it takes a heart of flesh and turns it into a heart of stone. And if the great commandment is to love others like you love yourself, good luck with a heart of stone. It requires a heart of flesh. The second reaction is to fake it. I'm just going to put on a smile. God's good. How are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm blessed. Life is good. Have you ever said that been inside going, my life is terrible? People do it every Sunday. And, and here's the challenge. If people see that, if people come through those doors at Word Serve, and the expectation is that life is good and I'm going to smile and I'm blessed and life is always perfect, but I'm not, I'm not going to stick around because I don't belong here. That's my fault. But here's the truth. You belong here because every one of us has got something going on that is not fun, and we may not feel blessed. It's okay to not be happy. It's okay to not walk in here with a fake smile. It's okay to be real. And when you're real, people appreciate that. If you're not, people see hypocritical nature. They see hypocrites. And that's the biggest problem with church today, with people leaving. You know, it's a hypocrite. Why would I go there? I don't belong there either. Either way, they feel like they don't belong, when in reality, this is the place that we all belong. Because we're all dealing with stuff, and we've got a Savior who can help us deal with it. This is where we belong. But we don't want to fake it. Let's be real. And then finally, distraction. We will do, like I said last week, we will do anything that we can to distract ourselves from the issue. Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Is it work? Is it mindlessly surfing social media for five hours and recognizing there's five hours of your life you'll never get back? It's all kinds of distractions out there. It keeps us from focusing on the one thing that will take us where we need to go. What is that one thing? Well, no, no surprise. Jesus, the light of the world. I don't know if you've ever tried to walk in darkness, but I will tell you of a time when uh, I thought one of my daughters needed my attention at night. They were young, and they weren't always the best about picking up their room. They had lots of Barbies. Did you know that Barbies have high heels? And that Barbie high heels on the floor if you step on them in the right way, will elicit the most excruciating pain that just shoots up your foot in your leg and then captures your soul. And you scream from the depths of your soul, and now everybody's awake. And everybody needs attention. See, walking in the darkness never works out well. Living in the darkness never works out well. Living in the darkness can twist us. It can cause us to be all hunched over, trying to get some nourishment, like I did at a hotel room in that one night. It can twist us. It can make us have pain where it's not necessary, where there's light available right there. But listen to this good news. If darkness can twist us, light can straighten us. Isn't it much, much better to walk in the light?
Let me tell you who the light is. As Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He also says, follow me. So decide today, we're observed, will we live in darkness or will we live in the light? I recommend Thank you for your son who is the light of the world. Forgive us when we stray into darkness for whatever reason. God, sometimes we feel like the darkness is winning and, and we do all the things that we do to separate ourselves, which just makes that seem all the more likely that darkness is winning. So God, help us to, to break that chain. Help us to see you for who you are. Help us to recognize that life in the light is so much better. God, even beyond that, help us to break through our own personal struggle and help us to understand that our call as a follower of Jesus is to let our light shine not just for us, but for the world. That the world may see you, that maybe the world may glorify you and know you for who you are. God, we're not smart enough always to figure out how to do that, but you are. So give us a listening ear to speak to us in a way that we understand. Put your love in our hearts, but also in our hands and our feet as we serve the world around us. Call us to something greater. Give us a purpose that is far beyond, far greater than anything we can imagine so that we know you're in this. That this is your call. And for such a time as this, we have been called. Then give us the courage to follow. I pray this in Jesus' name.